Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and without me, like, this is so strange for us. Without you. So without me, for the first time, this is the first time we've ever recorded digitally instead of uh, instead of in person is Palmer. Palmer, how are you today? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm steadily going crazy inside these four walls. How about you? Yeah, that's good. Well, you know that you actually technically have more than four walls in your house because of all the different rooms and stuff. I suppose you could just you could just move to a different room. I've, the past few days I've been doing that. Like I'll wake up, I'll move to like the TV room and sit up for a few hours, and then realize like mm-hmm. I got nothing to do today, so I'm going to go back to my room and lay down and watch TV the rest of the day. It's not been it's, it's not been, been like good for my sleeping. Room. No, no, it doesn't sound like it. It is at all. Uh, so, but we're making the we're making do for what we have, and you know, uh, COVID nineteen will not stop Academy Rewind so far. So, if anything, it might help it out. Yeah, it's true. That's true. It actually might, depending on how long we're in our homes for. Uh, I mean, we can easily get another episode done because you're on vacation next week, right? Uh, I am technically on vacation from school, though I do have grad work that I need to kind of finish up. Maybe I could do another one. I don't know. Academy Rewind kind of gets in the way of my doing other stuff time. But also, we have <laughs> some good movies coming up in next season in 2014. So we'll talk about it at the end of the episode. So I, it won't be a struggle to watch them, I assure you. This is true. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, Palm, we're here to talk about 1935 Academy Awards, which is the end of this season. After we finish this episode, we'll officially be halfway through our tenure on Academy Rewind. Isn't that crazy? That is. We've watched that a lot of movies. We've very watched crazy. a lot of movies. Uh, yes. Um, actually, over five. Over five. Mo- well, I mean, this episode, we've definitely watched over five. But uh, mm, uh, did we though? Well, we did. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is the first time that we've really run into this. This is the first time that we've really run into this problem full on because we've had hints yeah. of it earlier. Where some movies, the older you get, uh, the older they are, they there is no distribution for them or modern distribution for them. And so we're kind of in a jam in that some movies just don't exist for the public any like at this time. Um, we've watched 274 movies for Academy Rewind, by the way, so far. That's a that's a lot. I know that's a lot of movies. So, um, so it would be more if uh, if we went through. It would be three more. Yes. Yeah. So uh, when we get to them, like to the point in which we would talk about them, I'll explain why we we don't have. We're just gonna of them. You'll explain why we don't have them, and then we'll just have, like, ten minutes of dead air. Yeah, I'll, I can leave that. People can go grab a snack. Yeah, get a and... snack. Come back. You know, I mean, this is a – I mean, unless you're listening at a desktop, you really could always leave the room with whatever device you're listening we'll on. Find, we'll find public domain orchestral music and have it as intermission. Yeah, that's fine. I could do that. Okay, so let's get started. Um, um, the movies nominated for Best Picture are as follows. The Barretts of Wimpole, 
Viva Villa, The Thin Man, Here Comes the Navy, Flirtation Walk, The House of Rothschild, The Gay Divorcee, It Happened One Night, The White Parade, Cleopatra, One Night of Love, and Imitation of Life. Palmer, what one best picture? Uh, it Happened One Night. Yes, that is correct. It Happened One Night. Uh, do you know that because it was the first movie to be honored with all five major awards? Is that why you know that? Well, yes. Yeah. Now I have to find another fun fact. I was fact. wondering if that was in your fun facts or not, but it's in the... Well, why wouldn't it be in my fun fact? It's in the description of the, like, the synopsis of the movie. Like, oh, what's this movie about? <laughs> First movie to win five major awards. Those major awards are, of course, picture, actor, actress, director, and screenplay. Um, so arguably, they're all major because they all the things together make a film, but I digress. Palmer. Well... Unless you're unless you're Greta Gerwig making Little Women, oh, in which case you don't really need a director. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's talk about the Barretts of Wimpole first, directed by Sidney Franklin, written by Rudolph Bessier, Claudine. We oh, well, Rudolph Bessier wrote the play. I apologize. Claudine West, Donald Ogden Stewart, and uh, Ernest Vajda wrote the screenplay. Starring Norma Shear, Charles Lawton, Frederick March, and Maureen O'Sullivan. This movie was nominated for Best Picture and Best Actress for Shear. She did not win. This movie won zero awards. That is, <gasps> zero awards? That is a theme for this episode. This movie won zero well, awards. When you, when you nominate every movie that came out that year for Best Picture. That is correct. That is correct. There were many more, but you are correct. Uh, the movie, uh, its plot is Elizabeth Barrett's tyrannical father, played by Charles Lawton, has forbidden any of his family to marry. Nevertheless, Elizabeth falls in love with poet Robert Browning. Palmer, I thought this movie was a snooze fest. And even, it really was. And even Charles Lawton couldn't save it, who was couldn't not nearly you know as why? tyrannical as I wanted him to be. No, you know why? Because he wasn't in enough of it. No, he really wasn't. His most tyrannical moment was when the daughter Spoiler, because I know none of you are going to watch this. Um, spoiler, where his daughter's <laughs> like, I'm going to marry Robert Browning anyway, and she leaves. And he's like, the dog. I'll kill the dog for because she won't come back. <laughs> and his daughter's like, she took the dog with her. And he's like, foiled again. <laughs> well, I'm all out of ideas. <laughs> sips on brandy. Plays with mutton chops. Yeah. I mean, poor Charles Lawton. Like... He has a family they mutiny. He has a ship they mutiny. <laughs> we need somebody for people to rise up against. A, Get me Charles Law. Courtroom and they mutiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the witness for the prosecution mutinies. Like they oh, all, that's right. They all he, was mutiny. In, he was in a lot of good movies. He's been, he was in he was in a lot of movies. Most of them were good. And one of them was Barrett's of Wimple. Yes, I agree. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is a this was a this was a show. Or this was a movie that I didn't need in my life, and I'm you, glad. You know, Norma Shear was good, though. I mean, they they it was well acted. It just like, yeah, we've we've kind of talked about this before, like especially with the older movies in the 30s and 40s. A lot of them were made off of um, plays. That's correct. And as people have kind of lamented more lately, like why doesn't Hollywood do more original things? And it's like, well, they've always been, you know, right adapting books or comics or whatever. Back then it was a lot of plays that they were adapting and it feels like they've 
always had an issue back then adapting plays to the point of this feels like a play. Like this feels like if I saw it on stage, I'd be like, all right, this is pretty good because you don't have much to do in a one room place. Mm -hmm. But as a movie, I feel like you could have spiced it up a bit. Yes, I I agree. You 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 forgive, I guess. A lot of movies can be show don't tell, where a play is you have to tell, uh, yeah. and and you can you can feel that in a lot of uh, adapted. You can feel that a lot of movies that adapt plays, and you can still feel it in. You can still feel it in some films too. But but this I think especially is just people in a room talking, and then they're in another room and talking. Oh, and now they're outside and they are talking, and none of it yep. seems. Const- terribly important. Terribly, none, none of it seems terribly important at all. Um, yeah. Even even the tyrannical nature of Charles Lawton's fought the tyrannical father by Charles Lawton is just he's just he's, he's not a really a tyrant. He's like strict, and he's like none of my daughters will get married. And they're like we're gonna get married. Right. He's like ah oh, foiled. What am, what am I? Well, what do I do? Well, there's there's some. Reasonings for that that'll be in my fun facts, which we'll get to in just a minute because I don't think we have much more to say. Not but really. I will I will say a couple highlights of this movie: a Charles Lawton because he's great. Mm-hmm. Two, the beginning tracking shot with the dog coming up the street mm. and then like almost knocking at the door. Yes, the yes. the maid lets her oh, yeah. in, and then the tracking shot up the stairs into into the uh, woman's room mm-hmm. and onto the thing. Like, I thought that was a really nice shot to begin the movie. And it's definitely a lighter shot than the rest of this movie kind of entails. Like, I think the dog is there for, for some sort of comedic relief. Sure. Yeah. I Sure. I I guess so. Yeah. This movie just like needs the, relief. It's like the Shakespeare thing. Like, it needs a dog. It needs a dog. Like, does it, though? Um, yeah. Yeah. So the pirates. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it has a few moments, but overall it's a movie that you can pretty much skip, although there is a remake of it. Yeah, there's, you'll find that with a lot of these movies, that even if yeah. they weren't great, people remade them. Right. So we're going to move on to fun facts. Okay. Because the fun facts are more fun than anything in this movie. That is correct. When producer Irving Thalberg cast his wife, Norma Shear in the role of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, William Randolph Hearst was enraged that his mistress, Marin Davis, was not given the part. So Hearst pulled Davis out of MGM and placed her with Warner Brothers for the remainder of her career. And for over a year, the name Norma Shear did not appear in any Hearst newspaper. Hearst later attempted to get Davis cast in the title role of Marie Antoinette, a part that also went to Shear. Huh. I wonder if uh, she is related to Harry Shear from I- The Simpsons. <laughs> maybe i mean there's um um no i was gonna say i saw donald ogden stewart and i thought of david ogden spears and i was like that's weird <laughs> that they have the same initials and their middle name is both ogden ah <laughs> like, uh, so strange who who's it st- wait david ogden spears not, no it's not spears uh david ogden something yeah, because it's the guy from worth. it's in yeah, uh, Charles Winchester from Mash. Right now, uh, Scott is yelling at his last name at the podcast. David Ogden Stein, isn't it? Og David 
Ogden Steers. Oh, it was right. Oh, it was all right. It just yeah. seems, it just sounds weird. Yeah. I'm used to seeing it like written in front of me and not said. David Ogden Steers, actor of yep. MASH, also played the Martian Manhunter in that 1997 Justice League movie. Yes, he did. And he did uh, other cartoon, uh, other Disney ones aside from Cogsworth. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was a pretty good voice actor in his in the second half of his career. He also plays the uh, Frollo, right? Uh, I don't know if he plays Frollo. He oh no, voiced... no, he plays he plays the uh, Archbishop or whoever puts Frollo in charge. Oh yeah, stop! Cried the Archdeacon. Yeah, yeah, that's that's him. it. Okay, yeah. Concerned about the public's re- oh, that's going to be the last one. Remade literally word for word and scene for scene by the very same director, Sidney Franklin. And by the same studio, MGM, in 1957. Huh. Well, there, there you have it. Yeah. What a, what a time. Now oh, people he think... Was, he was Governor Ratcliffe. That's what you're thinking of in Pocahontas. He was also the Archdeacon, but yeah. he was yep. Governor Ratcliffe. Anyway. I know he was in a few, like, back-to-back-to-back. Um, yeah, so see, get off uh, Gus Van Sant's... Get off Gus Van Sant's back for psycho people. I'm never... I was never on his back for that. It, no, it was an art other project. people were. He, I know. To be fair, I mean, to be fair, I, I really like that version. I mean, I don't think you ever really have to do that as a shot by shot. Like, what's the point of doing a shot by shot? Make it your own. But at the same time, it's an interesting experiment. And what are we all doing here if not just experimenting? So yeah, you know, and whatever. I just, I really love Vince Vaughn in his serious roles. So me too. More serious. Like he's he's underrated as an actor because of he just does like the same type of comedy stuff. Yeah. What was that movie where he was in prison? Cell Block eighty eight. Is that the movie? Return to Paradise. Um. No. He was. He went in and beat up a bunch of people. It was really good. I can't remember. Oh yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, the one that came out a couple years ago. We're fifteen minutes into this podcast, Palmer, and we're only on our first movie. I know it's great. So the third fun fact will explain. Why this movie kind of seemed like a little disjointed, and why Charles Lawton was not as tyrannical as we were hoping. Mm-hmm. Concerned about the public's reaction, the disturbing subplot about Father Barrett's incestuous designs on his daughter was toned down by the studio. However, Charles Lawton famously remarked, they couldn't censor the gleam in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, um, I I got a hint of that watching the movie. Like when he's talking to her and telling her, like you know, she's his only one, and and this and that. I'm like, is is he planning on marrying his own daughter? Yep, sounds like it. Um, yeah, like I, how the human race got out of the Victorian era, I will never know. Or before that, truly, not even. <laughs> but here's the here's the thing about these movies that all of them and the censor code. So we have the Hayes Code right now, right? This is the pre MPAA because that wasn't Correct. until 1960. You know, the rating system for movies and stuff. But there was like a morality code, uh, which had that, just started up. Say that again. This has just started up. Uh, yeah, it's been going for actually it's been going for like 1927, something like that now. So this is 1934. These movies um, came out, but okay. the Depression actually had everyone kind of back off some of the code um, where they just like didn't have the people to watch the like films the same way. And that like things that shouldn't have been getting by originally were kind of like 
pushing through anyway. There was kind of a re-up in the code of 1930, kind of like the actual production code of, like, these are the... Like, right, that was yeah. kind of around this time because there is something coming up with Cleopatra oh, that sure. uh, talks about it. So okay, sorry. When we get to Cleopatra, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, all right. On to our next movie, which is Viva Villa, um, directed by Jack Conway, Howard Hawks, and William A. Wellman, who is uncredited. Written by Ben Hecht and Edge Compinchin, who wrote the book. Starring Wallace Beery, Leo Carrillo, Faye Ray, Donald Cook. Ooh. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Adapted Writing, and Sound Recording. It won Best Assistant Director. And this, uh, the plot... <laughs> okay. The the plot involves Pancho Villa. After enacting revenge on the overseer who murdered his father, Pancho Villa becomes a bandit, earning the respect of the poor by brutally attacking the wealthy. This movie is not available for viewing at all, anywhere. It's on DVD. We just weren't able to obtain a copy. That's because of because of the virus. So well, be, yeah, because of the virus and time constraints, we were running out of move, we were running out of episodes in the can. That's correct. And by running out, I mean we literally have none. So like all of yeah. them are out now. So yeah. So chop chop. We gotta we gotta start recording. Yeah. Um, I thought this movie was really good, especially yeah. the part where King Kong showed up. Yeah, Faye Ray. She was so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's weird that we saw King Kong. On the theaters. That was the last movie I saw in the theaters before that I was, shut yeah. down. Yep. And uh, so it's like we watched this movie because Faye Ray was in it. Because Faye Ray was in it. And we assume that she plays the same character in every movie. That is correct. She probably doesn't. But who no. knows? who's to say? Moving on. Uh, the Thin Man. Actually, do you have any fun facts? I, I didn't do fun oh, facts for the ones okay. we didn't see. <laughs> just, just checking. All right. Um, the Thin Man, directed by W.S. Van Dyke, written by Albert Hackett. Based on the uh, and Francis Goodrick, based on the novel by Dan Dashniel Hamnet, Hamnet, not Hamnet. That's the uh, Hamnet is the son of Shakespeare. I am not making that up. Um, starring William Powell, Myrna Loy, Maureen O'Sullivan, Nat Pendleton, and a very young Caesar Romero. Oh, who was he? I have no idea. I only saw afterwards. Good call. Um, but he was in there somewhere. He didn't have a mustache. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't trying to take over Gotham, so he was no, I was confused. Uh this movie was nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Powell, Director and Adapted Writing. It won zero awards. Uh the okay. movie the movie is about a former detective, Nick Charles, and his wealthy wife, Nora, who investigate a murder case mostly for the fun of it. Really, almost all for the fun of it. Fun of it. I don't he's think like, I've I'm seen not, him I'm not it. on the case anymore. And he's like, I'll do it for fun. Whatever. And this movie was great. I highly enjoyed myself. The scene yeah. with the pea shooter at Christmas where Powell's just on the couch shooting at the Christmas tree and he breaks the <laughs> way. Like, so, and his wife's just watching him do it. So yeah. good. So funny. The The interactions between Powell and his wife are worth it alone for this movie. Yep. Because it's it's the very, like, of its time comedy of, like, two people who, if you didn't know that they were actually in love with each other, you're wondering why they would be married to each other. That is correct. That is correct. And this movie is, like, straight-laced, a very classic and clean whodunit. Like, yep. you know, he's, he's you know, he... 
he is given the facts. This is like induction where, you know, like here are the facts and I'm going to go through all of the, I'm going to go through all of the steps. I have my, I have my partner in crime and like my partner in solving the case. In this case, it's his wife. And, you know, it all leads to a relatively clean conclusion at the end. And, but it's worth it for, it's worth it for William Powell. And, uh, there's a sequel. I think it's like, the there's a couple turns or something like yeah this movie was very successful i don't think any of the rest of them were nominated um probably not no no but this feels like a movie that's also like it gets nominated because it's the depression and people are sad if that makes sense like this okay. is a movie that like makes people feel better and it's well made and everything but there's really nothing in the movie that says like win yeah. uh, win awards maybe yeah Powell, maybe pavel's performance like yeah like i wouldn't think of this when i think of like classic Hollywood movies, but I would think of this if you said like golden age of cinema. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, it's not, it's not up there to be with like the, you know, with like the really great classics, say Casablanca, Mrs. Smith goes to Washington. It's a wonderful life, but this definitely has a place, especially for detective movies. Like I've, I've actually been watching uh, a few of the Charlie Chan Mm-hmm. mysteries yep uh because they're pretty much all available on amazon prime and they're good but they're a little too dry aside from charlie chan gotcha. and this i think gives a little bit more levity like this is kind of you can see where like the joking detective kind of comes from and i think it comes more from him also you get like the classic we bring in all of the guests. We bring in all of the suspects to have a dinner party. It's like, I bet you wonder why I all asked you here today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. I, I wish I'd actually saved this movie closer to the end because like I kind of, I watched them and I watched them in the order that I, um that we go through them here. Mm-hmm. And so I had wished that this one had come later because I like to save movies that I think I will enjoy the most yeah. for the end or something. And I, I, I loved it. It was great. It was. Uh, It was really good. Give us some fun facts. Sure. Although MGM was advised that some dialogue, such as William Powell's line, he didn't come anywhere near my tabloids, or Marina Loy's line, what's that man doing in my drawers, was censorable. The picture was approved for exhibition in 1934 and was granted a PCA certificate in August 1935. After the film's release, some territories did censor some lines of dialogue, and at least one theater owner from the South wrote to the PCA to complain of the excess drinking in the picture, which his patrons found offensive. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Given three weeks to shoot the film, W.S. Van Dyke managed it all in 12 days for the paltry budget of $231,000. The film surpassed every... Uh, the film surprised everyone by becoming a major box office hit, ranking in 1.4 million. 1.4 million. Yeah. Wow. Massive I hit have, at 1.4 million. I, I mean, that is a massive hit. I mean, then, now. <laughs> for, William, for William Powell's first scene at the bar, W.S. Van Dyke told him to take the cocktail shaker, go to the bar, and just walk through the scene while the crew checked lights and sound. Powell did it, throwing in some lines and business of his own. Suddenly, he heard Van Dyke say, that's it, print it. The director had decided to shoot the scene without Powell knowing, so it was possible he'd be as relaxed and natural as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Smart idea. That is a smart idea. 
I um I should do that with you. See how it turns out. I mean, everyone loves me, so that's true. I didn't say I didn't say that. Wow, so you jumped on that so quickly, so quickly. Anyway, um, do you want to move on to our next movie? Yeah. Here comes the navy. Here comes Direct- the navy. Here they by- sail in water. Very good. Directed by Lloyd Bacon. Written by mm, Earl Baldwin Bacon. and Ben Markson. Starring James Cagney. If you could do your James Cagney impression at some point. Yeah, see? Very yeah. good. Very good. Thank you. Did he sound like this at all in that movie? He didn't. I was so I was so sad. He did not sound this, like... This is why the movie know. sucked. <laughs> Pat O'Brien, Gloria Stewart, and Frank McHugh. Nominated for Best Picture. This movie also won zero awards. Uh, this movie's about a cocky guy who joins the Navy for the wrong reason, uh, but finds romance and is um, given some awards, even though he's terrible yep. and he doesn't want you're the, them. You're the worst naval person in recorded history. Here's some, here's some awards. Here's some awards. Have them. Enjoy them. Love them. Yeah, uh, this movie was a movie, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, it was actually, to be fair, I thought it was kind of fun. Um I thought it was kind of fun. Like, don't don't get me totally right, wrong. Right, right, right. Uh, it, it it actually really did have its. It really does have its moments. There's a lot. Like James Cagney is great. He is um, in it to win it. Uh, I would say. Um, you know, he, he doesn't just, call anybody a dirty rat. No, he doesn't because he's in the navy. He's not allowed to. Um, but you know, you feel like he uh, maybe he he would have if he wasn't in the navy. This is true. Yeah, um I can see I guess why it's nominated. It's kind of big and fun. Um you know, it takes place on some famous vessels which I'm sure are part of your fun facts, so I won't say them here. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um but it, but it was just kind of like, okay, it's it's over now. It's good. I will say that it is structured well from like beginning to end. It doesn't feel like, you know, it's it's like nicely paced. Everything kind of moves at a good clip. And then when it's over, it's over. And you're like, okay, good job, team. Let's let's. You made a movie. On. Good job. Yeah, you made a movie. Let's 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 get a move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, James Cagney is good in it. I mean, that's about it. I mean, some of the some of the stunts in it for the time, I think, are done well. Mm hmm. And they kind of hold up, but overall, like, there's nothing that really stands out about this movie to me, nor anything bad that really stands out. Nope, neither. I don't. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Neither are it's it 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 is a movie. Hooray! Yeah, yeah. Uh, give me some fun facts on this movie though to make it worth your while. Sure. Uh, okay. Toward the end of the film, Pat O'Brien's character is lifted in the air when holding the mooring line and is rescued by James Cagney's character. This might be based on an incident on May 11th, 1932 in San Diego when three soldiers soldiers were trying to hold the USS Akron's mooring lines when lifted in the air and two fell to their deaths. Ah, blimps. <laughs> the, the safest way to travel. I thought so. That's why, I mean, not right now. We're actually in the middle of a giant storm when we're recording this. But, you know, otherwise, you know, it's fine. You know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's funny that I was watching something and I didn't realize this. Did you know, like, statistically, more people survived the Hindenburg crash than 
died. No, I didn't know that. Yes. Huh. Almost, if I remember correctly, it's like two, a two-to-one ratio. Well, that's great news for that yeah. terrible event in history. Yeah, but it's funny how no one ever – like you see the footage and you're like, well, everybody died. No, yeah. no. No, apparently not. Yep. Well. Gloria Stewart would gain fame many years later as Old Rose in James Cameron's Titanic. <gasps> what? Yeah. I was watching Ironically, Old Rose. You were when she was young. Wow. Ironically, in Looks this movie, like Kate <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, in this movie, she's in several scenes aboard a literally doomed ship, the USS Arizona. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And now, that. yeah. <laughs> and she even threw a uh, she even threw a necklace into the water. It was weird. Hmm. Hmm. Being filmed, <laughs> being filmed in the spring of 1934. USS Macon would crash into the Pacific Ocean the following year, February 12, 1935, off Big Sur, California. Only two of the 76 crew members would be lost in the incident. Uh, the USS Macon was an airship. Hmm. It was. Yeah, was. Yep. Yep. And then the movie was filmed in the spring of 1934 on the USS Arizona, which was sunk on the December 7th, 1941 Pearl Harbor attack. Oh, yeah. So if you're in a movie with James Cagney and you're a ship, you're done for. Apparently. We need more airships. Bring them back, though. They never worked. More blimps in the sky. That's what I say. Stop. Rehashing your childhood love of Batman the Animated Series. series, Yeah, more police blimps in the sky. (laughs) Look, there's crime happening 500 feet below us. (laughs) Get the mooring lines out. Yeah, jump from the parachute. You'll 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 have to still travel about a mile or two to get to the crime scene (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. Nope. Uh, So good. All right, next up on our on our uh, movie walk is Flirtation Walk, directed by Frank Borzage, written by Delmer da- uh, Daves and Louis F. Edelman, potentially of football fame, starring Dick Powell, Ruby Keeler, and Pat O'Brien. This movie was nominated for Best Picture and Sound Recording. It won zero awards. This is a musical romance with Dick Powell as a private stationed in Hawaii who gets involved with Ruby Keeler, the general's daughter, engaged daughter. In order to avoid scandal, the pair break up and meet again years later when Powell's at West Point producing the annual play that turns out to star Ruby Keeler. This movie (gasps) was not available for streaming. Nope. And I was really disappointed because it, it sounds, sounds so good. So good. Yeah. It sounds just like the kind of movie that I want to watch when we do um, movies from the golden age of Hollywood. I want to watch noir thrillers and I want and I want to watch song and dance movies. And, and, and I that's was, it. And I was robbed of a song and dance movie. Yep. Bummer. You didn't get to you didn't get to this one either, did you? No, I didn't. No, too bad. Okay. Um, so some fun facts about this movie. Dick Powell didn't love being in this movie as much as he loved being in The Thin Man, probably. I'm making this up as I go along. I mean, that's probably true. R- Ruby Keeler loved her name, but her favorite drool was Emeralds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Checks out. Yep. And finally, Hawaii is a real place. Okay. <laughs> Where the Pearl Harbor attack <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yeah, we connected them. Look at that. All right. 
Next movie, The House of Rothschild, directed by Alfred L. Worker, uncredited director by Sidney Landfield, written by Nunnally Johnson, based on the play by George Hembert Wesley, starring George Arliss, Boris Karloff, Loretta Young, and Robert Young. The movie was nominated for Best Picture. It won zero awards. Therefore, I ask you, why was it nominated in the first place? If you're just going to nominate it for Best Picture, why is it even here? This movie is about the wealthy Rothschild family and how they undergo prejudice from an anti-Semitic society that they live um, that they live within. This movie was pretty good. I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the sets were beautiful, but as the movie went along, it got more sluggish as like as the narrative drove on to kind of nowhere. They were like, and it's really about the family being like, "Well, how much money can we get?" And like, like um, oh Napoleon, it's like oh Napoleon, you say blah blah blah. I should say that it's not really about how much money they can get because that makes them sound like terrible people because right. they're not because they're not. Um, but they they do kind of play the game, and I that's that's the part. What's of the, the name movie of the I, game? Uh, money is the name of the game, and that part I kind of enjoyed. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I the whole time I felt like I wanted like to concurrently be watching the Count of Monte Cristo because Napoleon was like, "I'm back, baby." Napoleon is a part of the Count of Monte Cristo. If you say so, he is. That's why he the Edmund Dantes gets arrested. Um, he gets he's like, tri- like um, set up as a spy of Napoleon. That's why he gets mm. arrested in the first place. Okay. Okay. Great. What did you think of this movie? I loved it. I thought the acting was done really well. It had it was historical in the in the sense of, you know, it's based on real people at a real period of time and it gives you enough information to know what's going on, which is something I'm always harping on with based on a true story movies, especially stuff that's based way out of my period of knowledge. Like I didn't know when Napoleon was exiled to Elba, that he came back. Yeah, that's yep. that's that. the part of the Count of Monte Cristo. You really have yep. to watch at least watch the Count of Monte Cristo. I've seen it before, but I Which don't remember one? it. There's, there's the Guy Pierce one. Oh, that one's really good. It changes. Yeah. That one changes a lot of the story. Um, it kind of. Like it changes the the manner of like setup and how they're connected and what the revenge is uh, like how he seeks revenge on each of them. But the mm-hmm. basic plot is there and it's well done. I, I like yeah. that movie a lot. So we have that. Um, I I kind of go against your thing of like their whole thing is money. As much as it is, there's reasoning behind it. So they they their father dies when they're young. And he tells them, like, look, people look down on Jewish people. They fear us. You know, they hate us. I want you guys to move to the – to five, there's five children, I think. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, move to the biggest – the biggest capitals in all of Europe. Start up a money lending business and show them what, what Jews can do. And they do. And they set up a really good business. During the first Napoleonic War, before he gets exiled to Elba, all of the countries go to them for money. 
Right. And they they freely give it to them. They'll mm-hmm. you know, obviously they charge them interest, which I'm sure they did. But it was more in the sense of they're coming to us to help out, and hopefully this gives us power and out of the it gets us out of the shadow of just being Jews. Sure. And then it doesn't. When France is it mm-hmm. that wants to get like the huge loan? And they so. cut them out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they bid on it. They, they call in every loan in every branch that they have to get, to get enough money to be able to bid on this loan that France is going to need to rebuild. And then they get passed over mainly for being Jewish. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then there's a, the subplot of him trying to tank the, the bond, the bond market. Like, you don't want to do that to us. Fine. So it's it's a really good historical piece about the politics of the time, and I never thought of a movie in which the line "You are the richest Jew on Jew Street" was ever uttered. Yep. But that, here we are. That yep. was definitely a line that was uttered. Yep. That took me. Yep. And I was yep. like, Ah, there's the anti-Semitism. There it is. <laughs> there's the anti-Semitism that's obviously already in this movie. Was that the, right at the beginning too? That was right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. that was right at the beginning. Set in. Yeah, when he, it's the tax collector. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah. Very good. Well, uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I did enjoy it. Like it's a solid. It's a three out of five. For me, I think like it's it's well done kind of across the board. I think it just needed a little bit more of an oomph in a lot of places. I, I think it could have done without the side story of the daughter wanting to get married. So that that was um, Loretta Young, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. Whatever. Right, fun facts. Fun facts. Boris Karloff was irritated with Universal refusing to up his contract pay after the success of The Mummy, so he decamped to England to make The Ghoul. This immediately led to offers for non-Universal films, The Lost Patrol, and The House of Rothschild. Karloff happily accepted these roles as they upped his profile and enabled him to have a bit more leverage in negotiations with Universal when they wanted him to star in The Black Cat. Oh, really? Yeah. I yep. love I love um Boris Karloff. He's the best. Made or short- maybe he's the worst. I don't know. I don't know a lot Who about knows? him. Made shortly after Hitler came to power in Nazi Germany, hence the depiction of Boris Karloff's character with his anti Semite stance. Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels, instead of banning the film, had it re edited to play up an anti Jewish viewpoint. Huh. Huh. Yep. Uh the Ugh. brief closing scene was shot in the newly developed three-strip Technicolor process. Filmed in 1933, this was the first feature film to include such a sequence. Huh. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Uh man. Three-strip Technicolor. That's a that's a game-changing technology. That was. That is. That, that led to that led to that, the beauty that, that is Technicolor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's good stuff. I love film tech. I love the history of film technology. That we're not going to get into that here, though. Um, we don't know. We don't <laughs> That'll be on that Technology nonsense. Rewind. Yeah, that's right. What a good title, actually. That's a great. It's a great title. Um, you could just do a whole rewind series, right? You know, just like a bunch of just like always retrospectives, like just call them. Rewinds. I've been I've been joking in my mind 
about doing um like history rewind where we watch based on true story movies and talk about like how close they are to the actual historical thing differences giving like um more info around the period of time that's cool that does require a lot of outside research if you're not familiar with the time period right Um, but at least it's only one movie that's that's the point. <laughs> yeah, actually, it might be less time consuming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wikipedia um, and the movie, and you're done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just bring on some history teacher friends every week. Just a different history teacher. I could do that. I'm, I'm out. I just know English teachers. Yeah, I don't know I how. Know. Out of like all the people I know, you're all English teachers. Well, hanging with a cool crowd. Some people would say. <laughs> The Gay Divorcee, directed by... Divorcee. Define. The Gay Divorcee, directed by Mark Sandrich, written by Kenneth S. Webb, George Marion, uh, which is the musical, Um, Dorothy West, Edward Kaufman, based on the book by Dwight Taylor, starring Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, Alice Brady, Edward Everett Horton. Nominated for Best Picture, Art Direction, which is Production Design, Sound Recording, and Best Score for Max Steiner. This movie won an award, finally. We finally got there, besides Assistant Director. Yay! It won for Original Song, which is The Continent. That was nice of them. Yeah, it was nice. This is about uh, an American woman, Ginger Rogers, who travels to England to seek divorce from her absentee husband, where she meets and falls in love with a dashing performer, that of Fred Astaire. Um, I thought this movie was good, but not their best collaboration, even like in like the ones that we've watched for this show. I thought mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I thought that it was like it was good. The Continental was a fun song, but even their dance numbers together, um, Night and Day was very good. I like I like that song a lot, um, you know, but um, it, it was fine. Like I didn't find Fred Astaire's character super likable at first because like they're like he's at dinner with Everett Horton you know his for his friend they're always all these movies together there's like a pack team and um and he like doesn't want to dance because they neither of them have their wallets and he like for like he's like uh and I know you're supposed to be like oh he's not like a showman or like he's not hammy he doesn't want to do it but I was like just do it so you don't have to wash dishes dishes damn it damn it Fred just get up there and do your thing that's why we're all here don't be sassy about it um but no but I enjoyed this movie it was it's cute and the music is great the dancing was great that's all you really watch them for um exactly but, but we watched a movie last season with this collaboration I can't remember which one it was now either. Um, but I liked that one more than this one because we're going in reverse. I think they get better as they go, you know? I mean, yeah, usually that's how it works. I mean, you're right. Like this movie is okay, but the, the, I like Fred Astaire. I like his dancing and I like Ginger Rogers and I like her dancing. However, I feel like that's all these movies are ever kind of built around. Sure. That, that is literally what they're supposed to be, though. Right. So it does fine for what it's supposed to be, but at the end of the day, I just wish that there was something more. Shall we dance? And no, no, swing time was mm-hmm. what you were swing, thinking of. Swing time, yep. Mm-hmm. Shall we dance? One, two, three, and one, two, three. Shall we dance? Da, no, da, top da, hat. Da, da. Top hat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Shall so, we dance was another one. That was the one yeah. where the girl was trying out, right? 
and yeah. she does that dance number on the roof of New York. That was good too. Um, so I just always wish that there's more from them, uh, more from these movies. But I mean, turn off your brain, watch some dancing, some singing. The songs are fun, the dancing's fun, and that's about it. That's it. It's a turn off your. It's it's an absolute turn off your brain because you're not because you're not getting anything deep here. Right. It's the thirties equivalent to a popcorn movie. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, anything else you'd like to add or you want to do some fun facts? Fun facts. After flying down to Rio in 1933, Fred Astaire was reluctant to make a second movie with Ginger Rogers. He had previously been part of a dance duo with his sister, Adele Astaire, but wanted to establish himself as a solo dancer. Astaire, Astaire noted that his agent... I don't mind making another picture with her, but as far f- but as far as this team idea, it's out. I've just managed to live down one partnership, and I don't want to be bothered with any more. But when the critics praised the Astaire Rogers pairing in Rio, Astaire was persuaded in the Rogers, and he and Rogers made their second film partnership. This one, huh? That's cool. I mean, I can understand why he doesn't want. They were never like super buddy buddy, right? They were, um, they were never really super buddy buddy. They were, um, um, friendly. They were cordial. They worked really well together. They held each other in high esteem, but they weren't like the best of friends. They were work partners. They, they did their job. They went to work and they went home. Mrs. Astaire allegedly was very sure, like, was actually very stringent that they would ever, that, um, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire would never kiss on screen. They like they only did it once, I think, and I don't know which movie. But like they were never allowed to even kiss because she was like, "Nope, not having it." <laughs> Having just insured Fred legs for a sum in excess of three hundred thousand dollars, producer Pandro S. Berman was keen to get some use of them, so pushed hard for Astaire to team with a new partner. Astaire was initially reluctant to embark on a new partnership with a female co-star, having just split with his sister Adele. Initially, Fred Astaire didn't want, didn't think that Ginger Rogers would be classy enough for the female lead and argued for an English co-lead. What a loser. Nah, I'm sure he's fine. She was classy enough. I don't know what he's talking about. Ah, he was, he was full of himself. Fred Astaire? Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> uh he he made good movies whatever it was a little full of himself who isn't in hollywood tom hanks that's who he might be yeah don't ruin it for me okay um was that three i can't remember yeah that was three that was three okay great um let's go to cleopatra directed by cecil b demille Written by Waldemeyer Young and Vincent Lawrence, starring Claudette Colbert, Warren William, Henry Wilcoxon, nominated for Best Picture, Sound Recording, Editing, Assistant Director, his movie won Best Cinematography. Uh, the story follows, of course, the Queen of Egypt, Cleopatra, as she leads Julius Caesar and Mark Antony astray amid scenes of what is quoted as Demillion Splendor. Uh, this movie was not available um, easily for um, for viewing. Palmer was able to watch it, and I was only able to see 
bits and pieces of it. I couldn't get to the whole movie. So I'm going to defer to Palmer outside of what I saw, which was beautiful. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a classic watch. DeMille. Yeah, there was even actually, I watched a 15-minute, like, documentary, like, behind-the-scenes documentary, like, you know, like, Blu-ray extras before that was the thing. And it was DeMille, like, talking about the film and, like, what little pieces he uses to, like, camera lens and, like, mm-hmm. you know, aspect ratios and all this different stuff. And then he there's this scene where he's, like, talking to his props guy and he's, like, reaming him out. It was hilarious where he, like, breaks one of the swords in his hand and he's like, this is cheap. You can't have this. I brought one from my own collection. It's this real sword. And he's like, you got to make them like this because <laughs> that, pe- the audience will tell. They, they'll know. They got to make them real. Yeah. Well, then he, like, picks up this shield and he's like, you see this? Tink, tink, tink. He's like, the audience will know this is tin and they need to be real because the stunt guys, they really hit each other. They're hitting each other for real and they won't hit each other if they know this won't protect them. This is the only thing standing between them and death. So you got to make it real. And he picks up another one. And it's just real shield. He's like, boom, boom. And the guy is just sitting there like, yep. Mm-hmm, yep. Okay. Yep. I can do that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I'm like, why is this in the behind the scenes? This feels so personal. No, that's and, great. Like that guy's getting literally yelled at on the job and I'm just watching it. He should. Uh, I agree, but maybe it shouldn't have been on camera. It was so funny. It was worth it. I give all the prizes to Cleopatra just for that. <laughs> it wasn't even in the movie. It was great. It's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. it just type in Cleopatra 1934. You can find it. Yeah. I mean, it was a very – it was classic DeMille. Like, the scenery looked gorgeous. Every shot looked great. Colbert does a really good job as Cleopatra – um, it's shorter than the one that we're going to have to watch in a season or two by like 18 hours. Talk about Ben-Hur? No. Spartacus? Cleopatra. Oh, we have to watch the, okay. we have to watch the, um, other Cleopatra. That's 1960. So I think we have to watch it for 1961. Yeah. So a few, few seasons. Um, so I mean, given the fact that it wasn't in color, I think is the only thing I could put against this movie. Like, I think in color, this movie would pop a lot more, obviously. But other than yeah. that, I mean, so I really I really feel bad that DeMille was in the era that he was in just because I think, like, we've seen him with color in Ten Commandments. I actually just watched the Ten Commandments last week I, I literally, or a couple of weeks ago when this, by the time this comes out. I just watched it again. You should have watched Ten Commandments, the musical. I watched the prince of egypt no okay great so but we've seen him we, we've seen what his shots look like with color and i feel bad that i was robbed of like an entire career of that i would actually love to see what demille would do today with today's cameras and color technology and every i i'd be curious like how deep he would go into like the technical film special effects side would he be like the James Cameron of yes. the world? I think he would. I, I think I don't. He would be I think he would be up there with James Cameron. Yes, mm-hmm. he would yeah. also pitch Warner Brothers a five movie plot for their DC characters that they would cancel halfway through. Yeah, that probably happens <laughs> to Bill. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, We're gonna do this five movie arc. All of them are going to be 17 hours. 
I'd watch that. I, I would I'd too. Watch, I'd, I'd watch DeMille's Justice League. There's going to be a lot of posing yep. in there. Yep. <laughs> lots of, we're lots gonna, of posing. We're going to bring back Intermission. Yeah. You see this spaceship? It's got to be real. The baby's <laughs> coming down from space for real. Like, it's the only protection <laughs> he has. We really shot him out into space. <laughs> we really we built the planet Krypton and then exploded it. <laughs> like it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of the story of Stanley Kubrick on why AI took so long to come out because he was waiting for the day he was waiting until he could actually get robots to act out the robot parts. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. And then he died, and then he was like, like before he died, he just told Steven Spielberg, "Look, just go make it. You'll be you'll be just- fine." Just make the movie. Yep. It's okay. Uh, good old Kubrick. Um, do you want to? Do you want to answer your phone? Not really. No. Okay. Great. I'm not cutting that out. I don't. Really I wouldn't. Care. Nope. Call there we phone. go. I yeah. figured out how to mute. It. I forgot that we added a phone downstairs. Oh sure. Okay. Even though it was staring me um, in the face the entire time. This is why you record at my house because I don't have a phone in my office. This is true. Yep. Um, let's go on to One Night of Love, directed by Victor Scherzinger. Wait, we forgot something. We didn't do fun facts for. Cle- oh, you. Oh, but you actually watched Cleopatra. I'm yeah, sorry. I did. That's right. I got used to. I got used to not watching it and then moving on. So yeah. See. Yeah. Uh, this is Cleopatra. Okay. Yes. When Cecil B. DeMille was in pre-production on this film, he asked to screen the original version from 1917 with Theda Barra. No prints could be found in Los Angeles, so a copy was borrowed from New from Fox office in New York. After DeMille viewed the film, it was sent back to Little Ferry, New Jersey. On July 9th, 1937, a fire at the storage facility destroyed almost all of Fox's known archived prints, most likely including Cleopatra. The screening for DeMille's company on February 15th, 1934 may have been the last time anyone saw the legendary film. Huh. Yeah. Huh. In 1934, the Hayes Code was only just beginning was only just being implemented. So Cecil B. DeMille made sure to flaunt its restrictions while he was still able to legally do so. He opens up the film with an apparent naked but strategically lit slave girl holding an incense burner in each hand as the title appears on screen. Hmm. Yep, that sounds about right. That sounds something like that sounds DeMillian. Yep. When she first started having discussions with Cecil B. DeMille about playing the part of Cleopatra, Claudette Colbert expressed a lot of unease about her climactic scene with the asp. Being terrified of snakes, on the day the scene was to be filmed, DeMille had one of the largest snakes sent over from Los Angeles Zoo and approached Colbert on set with it as she sat in costume on her throne. The actress was terrified and pleaded with him not to come any nearer to her with the enormous snake, whereupon DeMille produced the diminutive little asp and said, how about this instead? Colbert was happily, was perfectly happy to film the scene with such a small snake instead. Hmm. That's, that's nice of him. That's so good of him. It's the best of him. I would have went with the giant snake. I know you would have, because you're a terrible, terrible person. I am that way. Yeah. What are you? What are you going to? Snakes. Do Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> because it's historical. You would know that if you listen to History Rewind. 
<laughs> historical rewind, I'm going to call it. <laughs> historical rewind, yep. Historical rewind. Um, we, we would need a better catchphrase than the fortnightly. Like, we have to find a much fancier historical name for fortnightly. So, uh, this uh, show only comes out once every century. <laughs> um, technically, when, really, fortnightly is kind of when uh, the when the sands kind of in the east move to the west. That's good. When the sundial hits forty-seven degrees, <laughs> then then the podcast will come out. One night of love, directed by Victor Schertzinger, written by S. K. Lauren James Gow. Edmund H. North, based on the story Don't Fall in Love by Dorothy Spear and Charles Bihan, starring Grace Moore, Tulio Carminati, Lyle Talbot, and Mona Barry. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Actress for More, Director and Editing. It won uh, Best Sound Recording and Musical Score for Louis Silvers. It also won a Technical Achievement Award for the application of the vertical cut disc method, Hill and Dale recording, to actual studio production with the recording of the sound of the picture One Night of Love. Uh, it is about Mary Bennett, an aspiring opera singer who is taken under the wings of famous operatic maestro Julio Monteverdi. Mary and uh, Julio have a hard time acknowledging their true feelings for one another. I thought that the music in this movie was beautiful and the rest was fairly forgettable. Oh, this movie was so bad. Oh, you didn't like it at all? Not at all. Um, so, um, preview of historical rewind. Can you tell us why a lot of singing in the 30s and 40s movies are pretty much just, um, like, trilling? Like, the the sound of the voices are very, like, trillish? Oh, you, it, you mean, like, why is, is, the, why is singing that? Why was that particular style? style? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, well, in this movie, in this movie particularly, they're opera singers. So it's the what you, the vibrato is what you're talking about. It's not really yeah. A trill is more like um, Snow White, you know, mm-hmm. that like that that bit right there. Yeah. Um, this is there there they have a vibrato which comes from partly comes from the diaphragm mm-hmm. and how they're projecting their voice people who sing like a a note kind of flat where there's no movement across the sound are pushing from their vocal cords which will eventually hurt their vocal cords and they won't be able to sing anymore um it's not giving them the dynamic range that their voice is really capable of okay I think that might be true of a lot of, like, I think a lot of the people in movies at the time, when it's a singing part, were from that style of singing, from, like, opera-style singing. Because I notice it a lot, and I just, like, I just don't like the style. I've heard people sing opera lately, and I'm kind, like, I'm okay with it. I don't love it, but I like it in some instances. But just, like, the, like, the constant, like, minor up and down of the sound that almost sounds like you're singing it on a bumpy road okay. is what it I is mean, what it is sure i mean that's i think i think that's just when it comes down to it it's just your like it's just particular it's just particular taste i don't know if it's right. anything outside of that but sure but as we know Whatever. i am the voice of the people are you though i am you, i don't know if you are I don't know. Can't be tested. Can't be proved. Um, I don't really have anything to add. No, apart neither do from I. This movie has some good music, and mm-hmm. I liked it, even if you didn't. And that's, that's about 
That's, that's fine. That's about that. That's fine. You can be wrong in your wrongness. Okay, you be wrong in your wrongness, and then tell me about some. You, tell me about some of these things. Ubiquitous actor Gina Cordero plays a soldier at the bar during the Cheery Beery Bin performance. Film buffs note with amusement that this is one of the very few films in which Corrado appears in a restaurant scene but does not play a waiter. Hmm. Well, there you have it. The credits list story as the source of the movie, but it was actually an unpublished, unproduced play, Don't Fall in Love, copyrighted February 10th, 1931, by Dorothy Spear and Charles Bean. Dorothy Spear. Yep. The role of Grace Moore's th thickly accented Italian dresser, Angela, is played most convincingly by character actress Jessie Ralph, who was born and died in... Gloucester, Massachusetts. Really? Yep. Really? really? That's fun. I believe she died on that boat that's in um, that movie, Perfect Storm. Oh, uh, I yeah. really, I, oh, I really only think five people live in Gloucester, and that was all of them. Yep. Yep. You nailed yep. it. Every single one of them. Every gosh darn one of them. Well, that's it. That was it, yep, right? Yeah, that was it. Cool. All right, uh, let's do The Imitation of Life, directed by John M. Stahl, written by Fanny Hurst, who wrote the novel. William Herbert, uh, Hurlbut wrote the screenplay. <laughs> but. Yeah, but. <laughs> Hurl. <laughs> Starring Claudette Gobert, Warren William, Russell Hudson, Nett Sparks, and Louise Beavers. Uh, nominated for Best Picture, Assistant Director, and Sound Recording. This movie won... Zero awards. Uh, this was about a struggling widow and her daughter in a uh, who take in a black housekeeper and her fair-skinned daughter. The two women start a successful business but face familial identity and racial issues along the way. Uh, I thought this movie was going to be cringy, and I was actually quite taken oh, aback by it. was so good. Yeah, I was taken aback by how not cringy this movie was and how weirdly relevant it still kind of was. And Louise Beavers is a treasure. And Cla Claudette Colbert is in every excellent. movie. Is in every movie. <laughs> but, but like, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed this movie. Sometimes it, it, like, it wants to be edgier but is afraid to be. I think so, especially so for the time period. Yeah, so it backs down a little bit when it, like, could have pushed – the envelope a little bit more and maybe that's why it like gets nominated but doesn't go yeah. further with that i will say i haven't finished it i have about 15 to 20 minutes left i'm gonna watch it but you had texted me um when i was in the middle of it and i was like all right give me 20 minutes and then i saw how much time was left and i was like well i still have to finish the gay divorcee so i watched like five more minutes of it then i switched to the end of the gay divorcee but i'm gonna as soon as we're done i'm going back to watch the rest of it because I want to see how it ends. Oh, uh, I won't. I, I will not say anything then. I, yeah. I, I, um, I will not say. A word. Yeah, because right now I'm up to, I'm up to the part just after um, Palo, Paleo. Um, told her mother like, you're not my mother anymore. Peace out. Oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so like I was like, oh man, I like. You're right. I thought this yeah, movie was going to be a little cringy, although from the like almost at the very beginning, I was like, 
I'm on board with this movie. Although I thought the very beginning that child was dead. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. oh, man, this yeah. is going to start out with a child's death. All right. I'm going to like this movie, but no one's no one's really going to be happy about it. <laughs> no one's going to be happy about how I'm. Yeah. This. Um, I Yeah, I really enjoy it. I thought it was weird. It was oddly paced sometimes mm-hmm. where because it, it goes through so much of their lives together. Yeah. Like it, all of a sudden. And you don't you know, realize like, it. No, you have to be like, okay, you have money yeah. now, so therefore, like, so it's it's been a yeah. while. Oh, the daughters are older. Oh, your daughter's okay. dating yep. now, so there's probably been a f- couple years difference here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. a couple, just ever so, just ever so slightly, with the couple. This, I think, is almost a better version of the movie that we watched last episode. That kind of had a similar theme of the husband not being there. In this case, he's dead. The other one, he was off to war. And the woman being like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get by. But this actually shows her doing it. Whereas the other one, it was always like, we're never going to survive. We're never going to survive. And yet they still somehow do without ever acknowledging how. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about. You know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they just, they were never going to survive. And yet, and yet Colonel Mustard alone helped them. He did help yep. them. It was nice, yep. wasn't so, it? So, but I. And the dog. Don't forget that dog. No, I'll forget that dog. That them. dog was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Give me flush any day. No. Uh, so that was, I mean, so yeah, this movie is really good. The acting is really good. Um, very, very, um, female centric like all of the all of the starring roles of women the guys in it are just kind of window dressing or a vehicle to kind of have some sort of complication in the plot yep but it was it was done very well i really liked it good well me too i i had a suspicion I had a, like a s- strong suspicion that you would enjoy this movie. You know, sometimes it can go in a completely opposite. It can go in a completely opposite direction, and you can really surprise me sometimes with your choices. Um, but because uh, I really love strong women in movies. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, but uh, well, so, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, like I would watch this and say, okay, I think that. Palmer's really going to like yeah. this. And then you'd be like, I hated it. And here are all the reasons why. And I'd be like, ooh, that came out of <laughs> I didn't expect that. At- I didn't expect that at all. What what just happened? So it could have gone in that direction because you have been known to go in directions like that before. Yeah. So, and everyone who has listened to the show and who actually listens to all of these episodes <laughs> knows, like, knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Give me some fun facts. All right. Fred Washington, Paola, that's the name, age 19, was a light-skinned African-American. After playing this role, she was criticized by some in the black community who labored under the misconception that the actress herself practiced self-hatred and would rather pass herself off as white. Miss Washington was, in fact, an avid civil rights activist. Huh. I mean, so, like, you're doing your job correctly if... The character you're portraying, people are like, that's you in real life. Yeah, that's that's a good yeah. point. 
That's a great point. Eight uncredited writers contributed to the screenplay, including, including Preston Sturgis and Finley Peter Dune. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Despite this being a universal film, Claudette Colbert would be give, would get up two hours earlier and meet Dorothy Pondell at the Paramount studio so she could have Pondell, preferred makeup artist, prepare her for filming. Wow. Okay, Claudette. I mean, um, yeah, it seems like she was a little bit of a diva. Um, I saw this. I didn't use it for uh, Cleopatra, but I saw a fun fact that she's like one of those like like the stereotypical actress or actor where they're like, you know, make sure you get my best side. You can only shoot me from this side. Uh-huh. Like she was one of those. Like her left side was her preferred side, but like in Cleopatra – um, DeMille shoots her from like every angle, every side. And that's one of the few films that happens in. Um, so if you notice like this one, unless it's a straight on shot of her face, most of the time it's her left side of her face. Huh? Yeah. I mean, she was in so many of these movies. I kind of wish I knew that before. So I could, it was like, I knew watching I looked it. up the, I was looking them up as I was watching this movie. So as soon as I read that, I started noticing it. Yep. I'm going to, well, I'm sure, I mean, she'll be back. She was in a lot of movies, yeah. so. She's, I wonder, was she related to Steven? I don't think I so. Know, I know his mother was in at least performing arts. So I don't know if this is like grandmother, but while you introduce the keep, next movie, I was going to look it up while you introduce doing... the next movie, so. Oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah, okay, great. Okay, that was three, yeah. right? Okay, next up, The White Parade, directed by Irvin Cummings, written by Ryan James, uh, who wrote the novel as well, and Jesse Lasky Jr., starring Loretta Young, John Bowles, Dorothy Wilson, and Muriel Kirkland, nominated for Best Picture and Sound Recording. This movie won zero awards. The movie uh, is about, um, well, I should say the title represents the hopeful ambitious students at a hospital training school and is primarily a story of the stern discipline and laborious physical and mental toil they endure in order to become nurses and join the white parade um this movie was never released on home video format you can only see it in one place and that it, and that is in the screening room at ucla and so Palmer and I were not able to watch this movie because it has never been available to the public and pretty much for no good reason as far as I can ascertain. I'm sure that it's like a rights issue and then there's not enough people that would actually be interested in watching uh, it. It might not be a rights blah, blah, issue. Blah, blah. You said it was a degraded copy in UCLA? There is one degraded copy at UCLA. So there, yeah. it's so very it's possible degraded that copies still get released. Yeah. I don't know. We'll just have to make a uh, a trek out to UCLA to watch this. I mean, I'm not opposed. So anyway, that brings us to our last movie, which is the uh, which is the um, uh, best picture winner. It happened one night, directed by Frank Capra, written by Robert Riskin, based on the short story by Samuel Hopkins Adams, starring Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert, Walter Connolly, and Roscoe Carnes. This movie was Roscoe P. Nominated. That's right. This movie won all the awards it was nominated for, which include Best Picture, Best Actor for Gable, Actress for Colbert, Director, and Adapted Screenplay. 
uh, is about a spoiled heiress, Colbert, running away from her family, and is helped by a man, Clark Gable, who is actually a reporter in need of a story. You know, she doesn't love the guy, and he wants the money, and he's like, oh, give me the story, but then they fall in love, probably, and things happen. This movie was really cute. I don't necessarily understand why it won all the awards. Because it's Clark Gable. Like, don't get me wrong. Maybe. I mean, he was really good. He was it. Clark like, Gable. And he was... Yeah, but he but he's really good at being. Clark I hope Gable, so, obviously. But I mean, that's like like Brad Pitt won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he was right, Brad and Pitt. I, like he's very good at being. Like Brad Pitt, I, you know I what I mean. Really don't like it when that happens. Um, and at this point, we've seen I, we've seen Clark Gable enough to know he's basically playing the same character in every movie. That's true, but because we're going. In reverse, they, <laughs> they don't know that, know that yet. <laughs> but I mean, like, Brad Pitt doesn't play the same person in every movie. Yeah, the the time he won the award no, was for doesn't. playing Brad Pitt. And that's a little sure, different. But because he, he's... And, and he wasn't really he, Brad Pitt. Like, that's kind of like... Brad Pitt is famously you know, like, known for killing a bunch of the... Um, no, I was going to say um, Charles Manson people. Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he was. He's very famous for it. With yep. his hands, no less. And a flamethrower. So, um... In a fl- that was Leo. Then. Um, so get it. Right. I don't. Uh, so uh, I enjoyed this movie. I thought I thought Colbert was good. Gable was good. The writing was good. Everything was good. It's definitely a man. Doesn't this movie kind of push the boundary a little bit? So we like it, but also it makes us feel good, and it's depression, so we like it. And like you know what I mean? It's got all those charms of what you need to make a good movie. And put and push Hollywood forward mm. a little bit, and still make people feel good in times of. Depression. It's a feel good movie, and it's in the depression. I think that's why it comes out with all of these awards, um, and it's fine. It's it's good uh, at the time. It's probably the best, but given the fact that now we have seventy more years of rom coms. That it's one of those things like one of the reasons we talk we talk about this in the in the episodes is does it stand up especially in against contemporary things? And in this case, I don't think it does. I think it lays the groundwork for a good basis of a rom-com, but ultimately it gets surpassed by a lot of rom-coms. Um, I will attribute – I will actually compare this movie to a really – a really weird movie that you wouldn't think this movie would get compared to, but the last 10 minutes or so, like after she gets back to New York and he goes mm-hmm. to a meeting with the father and he offers him money and then they're walking down the aisle and he's telling her about it. Like you, you do know, like almost not word for word, but almost exactly like those things were taken out of this movie and placed in a very famous comedy. Do you know which one? No. Oh, um, analyze this. No. Okay. I just thinking of the father, like pulling, buddy. okay, listen, Sonny, <laughs> if you hurt, yeah, I was just thinking of that scene. Cause that's what my father-in-law said to me when I married my wife word for, did I ever yeah. tell you this? <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe these people don't know. Word for word quoted entire the entirety of that scene from Analyze This to Me. Look at me. Keep nodding and smiling. That's good. That's <laughs> the whole thing. It was it's very when you know he's not serious, it's very hard not yeah, to but laugh. He was he like was carrying a shotgun. 
I know. It's strange because I got married in Rhode Island. <laughs> but anyway, continue. Um, so it's pretty much lifted directly into Spaceballs. Oh, it yeah. is. Shoot, it is. Like even down oh, well. to the point of them walking down the aisle and he's like, yeah, he didn't take the money. All he did was take this much for for uh, food, gas, and tolls, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he only took what he is yeah. owed to him, what he spent on you. Oh, man, that's great. Oh, man, now the next Star time Wars you watch baseball, you're going to be like, huh, movie. this is basically just Star Wars version of it happened one night. Because it is. It's basically it's basically yeah. what it is. That actually really makes me appreciate Spaceballs w- more because I think that Spaceballs is an oddly paced Mel Brooks comedy. It like it starts strong and then it dips and then it goes strong and it like it keeps going back and forth. But I would really love jokes, to ask though. him like how much of an influence that movie was on this after seeing this. And I think that you could tweet at him and he would respond. <laughs> he's he's just bored right now. Did you see the PSA he did with his son? Uh, with Max yeah. Brooks, I did. This is my dad, Mel Brooks. <laughs> Go home. Go home. Yeah. Uh, I love good. Mel Brooks. It was great. Uh, all right. So that's pretty much all I have on that. Let me get to the fun facts. It Happened One Night became the first film to perform a clean sweep of the top five Academy Award categories, known as the Oscar Grand Slam. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. This feat would later be duplicated by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Silence of the Lambs. However, It Happened One Night is the only one not nominated in any other category. So it won all its awards and the big ones, but it didn't get nominated for right. anything else. This, I mean, you, it's true. The, there's nothing special about right. the costumes and, or the sets. Yeah. Or, I mean, they're on a bus for the They're on a bus in a car. It's pretty much just green eggs yeah. and ham. It, it truly is. It truly is. Fritz Freeling's unpublished memoirs mentioned that this was one of his favorite films and that it contains at least three things which the character Bugs Bunny was based on. The character Oscar Shapley's personality, the manner in which Peter Warren was eating carrots and talking quickly at the same time, and an imaginary character mentioned once to the frightened Oscar Shapley named Bugs Dooley. Other mentions of Looney Tunes characters from the film include Alexandra, Alexander Andrews and King Wesley being the inspiration for Yosemite Sam and Pepe Le Pew, respectively. No. Huh. Claudette Colburn complained nearly every day during the filming of this movie. On the last day shooting, she told a friend, I just finished making the worst picture I've ever made. <laughs> Got her. Yeah. Oh, well. What are you going to do? People be like yeah. that sometimes. Yep. Um. Are you ready for the reminders? I am. Dun, 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 dun. W- wonderful. Now, as a reminder, we have two Rwandans <sighs> this this time. We have the the best of the fives and just of the 1935. You completely... I the, did not at all. <laughs> yeah. Which is the you know, the best part about that is I forgot halfway through this episode, so I've been making it while we've been talking this entire time because I didn't want you to yell at me because last time I forgot and you didn't. I never <laughs> so, forget. And remember, uh, an elephant never forgets. Uh, that's great. Um, 
So you think on that for a while, and I will reflect back on this season before we get to the windies. It began on a rainy day. It ended on a rainy day. And it ended on a rainy day. We like cyclical things here at Academy Rewind. Okay, here we go. Um, The 1935 Rewindies. Best supporting, uh, as of course, um, here are the rules if you've never listened to Academy Rewind before, but if you started in 1935, bless you, I guess. So the rules are... um, so the rule are the rules are as follows. Uh, we can only pick movies um, and people involved within the films that um, within the films that uh, have been nominated for best picture. We cannot go. We cannot go outside of them. Uh, we try to co- at, through the seasons. We've tried to cover almost all of the major awards, and so we're basically just missing. I think I'm just missing sound at the the, uh, the sound recording at this point, um, which I'll add in next season. So we can so we'll actually just get to all of them. And some of them are not entirely relevant whatsoever. And so um, we'll see what happens. And so I think I've riffed long enough for Palmer. Yeah, I think I should be uh, good. Okay, great. So 1935 Rewindies, best supporting actor goes to um, Barrett of Wimple. Um, you want to yeah. get Charles Lawson? Yeah, I'm going to give it to Edward Everett Horton of the Gay okay. Divorcee. You know, um, Fred Astaire's friend. He's he hilarious in in this movie. Uh, not a lot of supporting male actors that like are really like deserving of yeah. awards in this lineup. Um, but I like our choices. Um, best supporting actress, Imitation of Life. Uh, yes. Louise Beavers. I agree. Yeah, you could argue she's the. Because she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, I'm going to keep her in that category. But you could argue she's yes, she's you could also, argue she, yeah. Colleagues. But I think it's more of I think it's more of Claudette Colbert's story than hers. She's just a really solid like B story. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, production design, I'm going to give it to Cleopatra. Yes. Um, mostly based off of that clip of just like you got to make the sword real <laughs> and the shields. <laughs> so, um, but from what I saw, yeah. it was beautiful. Best costumes and makeup. I'm also going to give it to absolutely Patra. good. Uh, best music. Uh, best music. I'll give Gay Divorcee. I also gave it to the Gay Divorcee. Uh, and uh, Max Steiner is a gem. One of the f- uh, the father of film music, as he is known. So, um, good on him. You know, I think Max time. I think that's yeah, yeah. I was right. Um, yeah, that is the yeah. Gate of War six guy. is good. Um, <laughs> special effects. Um, I I didn't have an option for this. I guess it would be here comes the Navy because of that stunt yeah. at the end. But um, that's really the. That's really the only thing, unless you count the fight scenes, I guess, in Cleopatra, but I didn't. No, they I were really fighting. Didn't you hear? That. Yeah. Yeah. No, I told you that. Um, good. Best cinematography. Cleopatra. I will, I will give it that based on like all the movies that I saw, plus just the little I saw of Cleopatra and what I know of DeMille, like it probably is deserving of that award. Plus it actually did yep. win that award. So best editing. Cleopatra. Uh, I'm going to give it to It Happened One Night because I thought 
it it moved at a brisk good pace. The jokes landed where they were supposed to, and, and it felt uh, like it only some... happened one night. It did. It even though it definitely happened over the course of several nights, and um, there's a lot of fun play with like the curtain in the room and the way that they edit out like those last shots to like imply that they're like doing the nasty um because the curtain has finally fallen stuff like that that's all good editing. oh i right missed there. i confused it with the other one one night of love oh oh okay um best actor best actor i would give it to who you give it to who do you give it to i give it to william powell of the thin man uh i almost gave it i almost gave it to clark gable but uh but i think our conversation of like he's always clark gable and we've seen him be clark gable better at other times that maybe he doesn't deserve it at this point in time so i'm gonna give it to william powell for the thin man because he was a treasure yeah i'm gonna give it to george arliss from house of rothschild oh good choice Loved I, it. I like that I, yeah i like that choice too uh, yeah best actress claudette colbert for pick'em yeah, Except that's for ex- it happened one literally night. Literally what I wrote, too. I wrote <laughs> Claudette Colbert, any movie, whatever. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say I'll give it to her for uh, Imitation Game, although I could I could definitely see the argument for Cleopatra. <sighs> she was good in It Happened One Night. I'm just – I'm not as high on that movie, so. Yeah, I think she was better in Imitation of Life, personally, but, but you know, whatever. That's what it is. Uh, best writing, Palmer. Uh, best writing, probably House of Rothschilds. That's a good one. I'm going to give it to Imitation of Life, uh, and then Best Picture. Best Picture, I will give it to Imitation Game. Uh, the Imitation of Life, Imitation Game, yes. that great movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh right, it, that was actually that was 20, also that this, was in this season. Yeah. It was 2015. Yeah. So yeah, the Imitation of Life. Okay, great. That's hilarious. Um, very good. The Imitation of Life sweeps them, sort of. Not really. Uh, it was actually a nice nice showing for everybody. Palmer, are you ready to do the Rewindies for this season, or do you want me to yes. talk about what's coming up next season first? No, I can do it. Okay, great. All right, we're going to go in the same order. Uh, Damn it, I already forgot the order. Say that again? <laughs> I said, damn it, I already forgot the order. Oh, no, great. I got it. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Um, again, the rules, we only can only pick films that were in that were nominated for Best Picture, but through the whole season. Palmer, Best Supporting Actor? Morgan Freeman for Morgan Fre- Shawshank Redemption. Morgan Freeman for Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to give it to J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Okay. Best Supporting Actress? Now, see, we're not going in the same order. Yeah, nice this is try. literally the same order. This is what I we just the order we just went in. Are you sure? A positive because I'm looking at a chart. <laughs> <laughs> I can take a picture of the chart and show you. Uh, uh best act, best supporting actress. Supporting actress. Uh, we're gonna go with Imitation of Life. Imitation of Life, Louis uh, Louise Beavers. Okay, I'm gonna give it to yep. Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. Okay. Uh, production design. Uh, Godfather. Godfather two. Part 2. Yep, very good. Yep. I'm going to give it to the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Um, best costumes and makeup? I know, this is G- tough. going to go... Go ahead. Um, I said, I'm going to give it to My Fair Lady. Yeah, I mean, that's a definitely... Mm, yeah, yeah, I think it beats out Cleopatra. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I just think there's a there's a really good 
turn when Eliza is like she goes from pauper to like wealthy per se, you know, like to to cultured or whatever you want to call her to proper. Yeah. Um, and that's all costumes and makeup and like the poise that she gives to all of that. So I, I think I'm going to give it to my fair lady. Uh, best music. Mary Poppins. I am also going to give it to Mary Poppins because it's the best. Uh, best special effects. Mary Poppins. Also Mary Poppins. I agree. Yeah. I actually, I, that was the last one I, I filled. I had a really hard time. Like, I went back through all the movies. I was like, these were not effect-heavy movies by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Mary Poppins was probably, like, the biggest the biggest one out of all of these movies. Um, best cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godfather Part 2. Godfather Part Two. Oh man, I forgot about Godfather Part Two. Mm, I had Grand Budapest Hotel, but I'm actually going to change my answer to Godfather Part Two. I like that answer better. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm even going to change it on my list right now. The Godfather. The Godfather Part Two. Yeah, that's better. That's a great one. Um, best editing. I know this is a tough one. I know you love this one. Editing. Godfather Part 2. Godfather Part 2. I'm going to give it to Birdman. Okay. Um, best Actor. This gets tough. Uh, Leo for Aviator. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to give it to Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Okay. Uh, best Actress. Hillary Swank for Million Dollar Baby. Good one. I'm going to give it to Julie Andrews for Mary Poppins for creating a, a livable, breathable character that we still love and enjoy. Best writing. Uh, quiz show. Uh, quiz show. Good choice. I'm going to give it to Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. Oh, Dr. Amadeus, Sayus. Amadeus, Amadeus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it to Amadeus. And finally, the best picture of the of the Rewindies for season five goes to Palmer. Quiz show. Quiz show is your movie. Yep. Uh, mine is also in that same era. I'm going to give it to the Shawshank Redemption. I figured. Yeah. I figured you were going to give it to Quiz Show, actually. So yeah. I'm glad that worked out. Um, so we watched all those movies to arrive at the conclusion we probably had before we started the season. That 1995 was the best year of this season. That it sure was. Quickly followed by 2015 and then by 1965. <laughs> because we have very few movies thrown around in other places in between all of those times. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay, so up next in next season, which will be uh, a little ways away, but next season of Academy Rewind will bring you the fours, which brings us Philomena, Nebraska, Captain Phillips, The Wolf of Wall Street, 12 Years a Slave, Her, Gravity, American Hustle, and the Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, I'm going to have to watch Her. Oh, you've never seen Her? I haven't seen most of these movies. Oh. Um, I saw Gravity. I saw... Uh, That's it. Wolf yeah, of Wall Street. <laughs> I saw Wolf of Wall Street. I saw Dallas Buyers Club, and I'm going to have to watch that again, which I'm not looking forward to. I saw a good chunk of these. Not all of them. I saw Philomena, Wolf of Wall Street, 12 Years a Slave... Her, I've seen Twelve Years of Slavery, Gravity, yeah. and American Hustle. I've seen yeah, six. I've seen, I've seen six out of the nine already, actually. So it's just Nebraska, Captain Phillips, and Dallas Buyers Club that I haven't seen. See, so you'll be ready to record that soon. 
yeah, I mean, actually, I probably it hasn't been that long. I probably could not watch all of these over again and still do the episode. But I feel like that's cheating because we always watch. It really them. is because I yeah, I always watch them. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that'll be next. Um. Yeah, and uh, you good. can look. You can look for that. Um. Probably coming sometime Eventually. in. I, I would hazard sometime in June if we give enough time to ramp up to watch some of these movies because we well we, we usually like take a month off anyway so yeah, yeah and we like to we like to stay we like to stay ahead of the we like to stay ahead of the movies so we don't get trapped um, yeah which sometimes can't happen so well Palmer uh, this has been a pleasure people you can find us on Academy Rewind on Gmail but we don't check it so don't bother. Um, and you so you really tweet. can't find us there is what you're saying. That's correct. And you can tweet at Palmer at Academy Rewind and you can tweet at myself at Timothy PG 13. Uh, and you can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all other places podcasts can be found. And we know that everybody has flexible spending right now. Um, but if you do and, and you would like to support the shows, uh, then you can head over to patreoncom slash thought bubble audio to support all thought bubble audio shows. And you can find all other thought bubble audio programming at thought bubble audio.com. Palmer, it's been a pleasure. What a wonderful season. Over 270 movies, and we are And we're only halfway going. through. We're only halfway there. By gosh. By gosh, by God, by darn it, whatever that song is. Um, but, uh, Palmer, I think we're out of here because they're playing us off. No, I have so many people to thank. Well, too bad. Bye. Bye.